Welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down, brought to you by Tabbies.com, the world's best Delta edible. As you guys can tell, this is not Steven talking, which means it is a Wally-only Super Bowl show this week. Steven is in Aruba on vacation with his wonderful girlfriend, Kylie, and they are down there having the time of their life right now from all the looks of the pictures. And it it brings a little bit of pain to me, I'm not going to lie to you, because I'm still stuck looking outside at the frozen driveway from the ice storm last week. But I'm not jealous at all. I'm sure he's having a great time. I can't wait to hear about it next week. But another thing here before we get going too far and get into our actual show, I just wanted to bring up that, as you guys are probably well aware now, we have had a new sponsor here in the last month, Abby Turner Creative. Awesome news, as you guys got to hear a little while ago, Abby was in remission, and it sounds like now she is about completely done with chemo. She's only going to have a few weeks left of radiation, and I just wanted to bring that up because that is such an awesome achievement for her. I can't imagine how happy she is, how happy her family is. I know Steven and I are over the moon for her, and we can't wait to see you. I'm sure we'll celebrate and party, and all the people at home are rooting for you as well. But it is Super Bowl week, and I know that you guys are here to Talk some football, hear some football. So we'll get into some topics here before we get into the big game. I know I'm the guy that always seems to talk about all this, the negative things in the NFL and sports world, but I just feel like it's really important that you at least address it when this kind of shit comes up. But today, I'm sure a lot of you have seen, I guess it'll probably be yesterday by the time you're listening to it, Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders, took me a second, the team announced earlier Wednesday that a new wave of sexual assault allegations levied against the team will be investigated by a retained group of investigators, which when you first hear that, it just doesn't it give you the feeling? It's like asking a bully to pair up with his friends and go and interview the person that they bullied to see whether or not they did anything wrong. At least the NFL, first, they come to their senses like they did before with the last investigation. They came in and put their foot forward, decided that they needed to head this. Should have been that way to begin with. But they supposedly were blindsided by this report earlier. And just as I was firing this up, it looks like they emphatically rebuked that and said, hey, we will be doing our own investigation. I'm sure like you guys, that sounds good. And I'm like, thank God, a little bit of accountability for Dan Snyder and this football team. But then if you remember, the NFL is still involved. And shady shit always follows them and will likely happen. And somehow this will be even worse in the long run because of how poorly this league is run. They're going to, I'm worried that this is going to be one of those situations that as much as the league is probably frustrated with Dan Snyder, he's been a thorn in their side forever. He's still part of the boys club. The boys club has to be protected. They look out for one another. And I'm just very concerned that if there is an opportunity, you know the NFL is going to jump on the idea of anonymity, keep names out of everybody's mouths, and as little of the information of this getting out as possible. Now, if it does happen, though, if the claims prove to be true, This has to be what finally does it for Dan Snyder, right? There's no way he can keep coming back year after year, scandal after scandal, without being forced out by the boys club. 
at some point, especially with the stuff going on with Brian Flores now as well, the black eye the league is taking from racism, from misogyny, from any other, I guess, abuse. Anything legally you can find wrong in the NFL, they've almost taken upon themselves to handle it as poorly as possible. Maybe this is the straw that broke the camel's back where I'll get into here in a moment about the coaching hires, but it's almost like they're trying to cover up their foot tracks a little bit here. So maybe this is what it takes. There are reports against him directly, which you knew, of course. I mean, there's nothing about that scumbag that would ever make you wonder (laughs) if he's not doing something wrong. This is just par for the course with Dan Snyder. I'm not expecting this to come out and give us anything groundbreaking because every single time it feels like we're expecting it to happen, the NFL somehow just slides through the cracks. We either forget about it or we stop talking about it, and they just keep doing what they do, and eventually they make a mistake big enough again that the world calls them on it, and we'll do the same song and dance in 12 months. But I'm done talking about the sad stuff now. Let's transition. Not like it's much better, but I want to talk a little bit about the NFL Pro Bowl. It has turned into such a joke. I mean, you remember growing up, even 10, 15 years ago, the great Sean Taylor, the play that everybody still talks about. You see it clipped on Twitter, clipped on Instagram, all over the world. Every single time this year comes around or the anniversary of his passing or his birthday, you always see the clip of, I can't remember the damn punter's name now, fake punt in the Pro Bowl, and he gets absolutely truck-sticked on fourth and one on the sideline. And like the punter literally got like driven back three yards. They're celebrating like it's a real game. Could you even imagine that happening now? I mean, we literally had two-hand touch Pro Bowl, and then Mac Jones doing the gritty 15 seconds after a play was over, 65 yards downfield. Fans don't give a shit about it. The NFL cannot be making that much money to make it worth it. Players don't want to play, as we've seen time and time again, countless opt-outs. You end up with, like, the mediocre bowl. You're on, like, quarterbacks 9 and 10. Receivers, like, 15 and 16. Because, realistically, most of the guys in the Pro Bowl aren't on the playoff teams. They're not going to be the ones making the big plays. Be a Super Bowl team, they're obviously excluded. And then the AFC and NFC Championship game, those guys are out too. Typically, that's a week after. Why would you go back and play in that? Why would you risk injury? And I know that it's still two-hand touch, but you can risk injury in doing anything. But the tricky part about it to me, though, is how do you fix it? Because I really don't think there's a good way to fix it. You had less than five, six, seven years ago, Roger Goodell even had a story leak. I think it was SB Nation did it talking about how Roger Goodell wasn't even in favor of the Pro Bowl, that the only reason he kept it around was that he had a belief that the NFL PA and the players in the Players Association enjoyed the event, even though they directly contradict that fact by not playing. It needs to be abolished just like every other professional all-star game, maybe besides Major League Baseball, because that one still kind of has that old feel to it. But I don't know really what it will take to make it happen. Take the stakes out of sports and you lose public interest. 
So either add stakes to the game, kind of like baseball did 20 years ago, by having the winning league host the World Series, and I hate that, by the way. It's a terrible thing. But if you remove the stakes, nobody cares. If you want people to care, give us a reason to care, or it's just going to continue to decline. I mentioned before new hires, and it was a pretty busy week, even at this stage of the offseason for a lot of these teams. Let's start with the Texans, because this is the one I was kind of tongue-in-cheek laughing about when we were talking about Dan Snyder. This feels like a direct reaction to the public response of David Culley's firing, that they were like, oh my gosh, they didn't want us to bring in this 65-year-old blackhead coach to be a scapegoat after a year to get fired. When he coached well, too. Them going 4-13 and was a major achievement. I feel like almost everybody felt that way. This was a team going into the year, we weren't sure if they'd win more than a game or two. To not get a year, or I guess a full year, that's a problem to begin with. And then Lovey Smith, he was a defensive coordinator on that staff last year. If you're going to bring him in, why do you get rid of Cully? It's so backwards, it makes no sense. It just screams like, oh shit, the world wasn't happy. When our clear and obvious plan to take a, a gap year didn't go over well. Can't do that. Anyways, good luck to Lovey Smith. He's in as much trouble there as another couple guys we're going to get to. But the Jaguars, they hired Doug Peterson. Byron left, which was, to me, the perfect hire here. It fit like that. I, I guess that franchise so well, being a Jaguar himself. But the Jaguars botched it with the whole bulky situation. I don't blame Leftwich. Be selective. There's going to be jobs out there for you when you want them. Although we say that about Eric Bieniemy too. But that's neither here nor there. Doug Peterson, though, he's a professional. He's going to do everything he can with this Jaguars team. At the very least, the Jaguars aren't going to be embarrassed anymore. I think it was Rich Eisen earlier was talking about how he's not going to be grinding on like 18-year-olds. He'll get on the plane. He's not going to kick his field goal kicker, and he's going to be a joy to be around. Everybody loves Doug Peterson. I hate Philadelphia, and I couldn't even be upset with him in that team when they got it done a few years ago. Good for the Jaguars. It's a, as good of a backup plan as I think you see in the NFL. The Dolphins, they hired Mike McDaniel. Everybody knows him about his time with the 49ers and all of his viral press conferences. When in reality, really smart dude. Really smart guy. The video's going around all over the world right now. McDaniel on the phone with Tua. FaceTime him. And I'm amazed that I'm the only one that kind of had this reaction. But how awkward was that? I felt bad for both Tua and McDaniel that you're going to plug a, a camera phone or a camera in general right outside my face as I'm having my first ever conversation with my franchise quarterback and we're both supposed to be natural and normal. I mean, he handled it well. I mean, the way he was talking to Tua, the way he was kind of redemonstrating that confidence in him, that he can be the guy that Miami and a lot of their fans still believe he can be. I think that was a really good hire this week. Minnesota, they got Kevin O'Connell, offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. He's going to be the new head coach. I was really impressed with the balls on the new general manager up there in Minnesota, the former Cleveland guy, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, to bring in Harbaugh to interview as they have a personal relationship from the time in San Francisco about a decade ago. 
and to not feel the pressure to give him the job there. It was very obvious the fact that Jim was able to take that Michigan job again the same night, and he even openly said, hey, they were not feeling it. They were not feeling the way I was feeling about them. That really takes a lot of kind of gonads to bring in such a high-profile coach that you have a relationship with and to shut him down point blank. You're not our guy. That's awesome. I'd be pretty encouraged by that if I'm Minnesota. I would have wanted Jim Harbaugh too. Don't get me wrong. But Kevin O'Connell, he's more than capable. He's proven it. He's going to have a chance to win a Super Bowl before he goes to Minnesota, which is always a really cool thing to see. I like that one a lot. Which leads me to the last one here. And probably my least favorite hire. Yeah, there's a little bit of personal animosity with it. But Dennis Allen got hired to be the New Orleans Saints new head coach. Dennis Allen was formerly the head coach of the Raiders in 2012 to 2014. Went 8-28. Those were bad teams. I know they were bad teams. Dennis Allen couldn't do a ton with it. But there was no growth whatsoever. This is not really too much different than what you saw happen in Houston last year where Sean Payton, he just left this team high and dry. New Orleans is in cap hell, like in some of the worst cap hell you'd ever see. He signs Taysom Hill to that stupid contract because he's the only person on earth that trusts the guy. Then he retires, leaves the team in a position where nobody can win. And so naturally, I think the Saints decided to do what the Texans did. We don't think Dennis Allen's our guy, but we think he's going to do, I guess, okay enough to put us in a position to be one of the first teams clamoring for these high-profile head coaches in the next cycle. Maybe we can get out of Capella a little bit. Maybe we can get some youth that can at least convince a coach that this team is worth the challenge of taking it on. But poor Dennis Allen. I, I don't have anything, I guess, against him personally. He seems like a good dude. That said, ah, good luck, buddy. You're you're in trouble. And this is also your last head coaching job, you know, too. There's no chance in hell after a failure in New Orleans, and I imagine it being an unmitigated disaster, similar to his time in Oakland. How do you give another head coaching opportunity to that guy? And that brings you back to the whole, these are the kind of coaches that are getting multiple opportunities and why some people still feel like there is a very color influence on why coaches are hired or not. Let's get into our final topic. Tom Brady, kind of hinting at a return or a possibility of a return, said this last week that he's not looking to come out of retirement, but never say never. Steven said last week that he believed it could happen, and it it could happen as late as mid-season. I don't think it's impossible. A guy like him is clearly in love with the game. But the reason I said after the Rams and Bucks game that it was over is because it's the perfect send-off. He gave us another all-time comeback. It fell short, but it wasn't his fault. To me, it was just perfect. Remember the greatest of all time at the top of his game before he's regressing. I do think it's important for him not to have that Peyton Manning final season. And who knows? I mean, He puts so much money into his body put millions of dollars into his training, nutrition, his rehabilitation. And then he said when he once retired that if he was not able to give 100% commitment, it's time to hang him up. And now that he's hung him up once, 
first of all, I don't think Gazelle's going to let him go back to football. But I, th- I think we just have to get used to seeing Tom Brady and not TB12 anymore. He'll be around. I just don't believe the commitment is there. And at his age, you need more than 100% commitment. It needs to be a lifestyle. It needs to be every day. Otherwise, at some point, the body's not going to be there, even for Tom Brady. It sucks. It's a part of life, but we have to just say goodbye to this era of quarterback that was so special. The Drew Breeses, the Big Bens, the Phillip Rivers, Eli Mannings, now Tom Brady. It sucks, but we're getting old, everybody. This week's recap segment is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, advertising, and more. Especially if you are at me and Wally's age, or college graduations, engagements, weddings, baby pictures, you name it. Feels like they're happening every weekend. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself on abbyturnerphoto.com or on her Instagram at Sawdad and Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com. Had to give you guys a little bit of that Steven voice this week, even though he's not here. And again, Abby, you're the best. We love you and congratulations. But now let's get into Super Bowl Sunday. What we're here to talk about, because it's just me, I wanted to take almost like a little bit different of an approach to this this week. And if you don't like it, I guess tough luck. You have to wait till next year. The Rams are four-point favorites. 48.5 is the total. Steve, I got a single text from him while he was in Aruba, and he just sent Cincinnati plus four, F it. Very creative on his part to not give us a money line two or a pick to win, because now he can really just sit on the fence either way and be, oh, yeah, I, I thought the Rams would win by three. Oh, no, 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 of course I thought the Bengals would win. Why do you think I took them plus four? Can't wait to hear that regardless of who wins next week. But uh, I want to do a little something different, like I said. I want to break down almost, do a co- position group versus position group for each team. And naturally, you have to start with the quarterback position. So the edge has to go for the Cincinnati Bengals in this. I really think it's an awesome story with Matt Stafford. Finally gets out of Detroit, goes to L.A., and he's actually going to have a chance to play in a home Super Bowl in his first year with the team. It's an awesome story regardless, but I would personally rather have Joe Burrow today, Sunday, five years' time, ever. Joe Burrow, that's my quarterback. It's like arguing between an A and a B-plus here. You always want that A, but you're not going to be upset if you have Matt Stafford taking snaps under center. As for running backs, really, I think, depends on what you're looking for. Because Joe Mixon, I think, is the best of the four running backs here that I'd mention. But then you have, I feel like, a much more balanced attack with Cam Akers and Sonny Michelle. I like Samaji Pirine, but he's a little slower. You lose a little bit of that feeble foot with him. I'd probably lean Cincinnati just because of the Joe Mixon factor. When he is on, I mean, he's one of the best running backs in the game that nobody talks about. And this really could be an opportunity to be a coming out party for him a little bit. You can say that with a lot of these Bengal players, as you imagine, a lot of this core will be around for a while. Then you go to wide receivers. Again, it's it's kind of similar to running backs. I'm going to give this one a push. Cooper Cup is the best wide receiver in the world right now, which is the reason if I had to choose one or the other, I would take them. But the depth and talent throughout the depth charts is why it's tied to me. Beyond Jamar Chase and Cooper Cup, that comparison. T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, versus Van Jefferson and OBJ. 
I don't care what the world is trying to convince us of OBJ. He's not that good. I challenge you guys to go out there if you're, you're upset with that and do me a favor and look up the, the split of his time with the Browns this year versus time with the Los Angeles Rams. Almost the exact same. The only difference is the touchdowns. And not to say that's not important. It's a huge part of being a wide receiver. And being a number one, you have to be catching touchdowns. I felt like they utilized Cooper Cup in such a way that they were able to give OBJ more opportunities at that part of the field than the Browns were able to. That's not an OBJ thing. That is a the people around you, the personnel around you, the coaching around you, the play calling around you. I don't think OBJ is that good. And you're going to see it a lot, I think, on display this weekend because he should probably be matched up with Jadobi Awuzie for most of the game. And Awuzie is a sneaky good corner after. I mean, since Dallas got rid of him, he really came to Cincinnati. He's been great. And speaking of Cooper Cup and how, I guess, explosive he is out of the slot, it's funny too because I had been operating under the assumption all year that I knew that he was considered like a slot wide receiver. But I thought that it was like a 60-40 split where he was predominantly your outside wide split set, wide receiver. And he was, I think, oh God, I have it written down. I think it's 66.5% of his snaps this year were actually from the slot. And here's an insane stat too for you guys that I, I just can't believe. The gap between Cooper Cup and the second most productive slot receiver, Christian Kirk, was 637 yards. That is the same as the difference between the second best, Christian Kirk, and the 85th most productive slot receiver. That is surreal. And credit to the athletic, I I got that stat there. But what it also means is that all the jokes that we've been making about Eli Apple being the guy to cover him probably won't happen a ton this weekend. It's going to be Mike Hilton versus Cooper Cup. And if you're a Bengal fan, you at least have to be thrilled because Mike Hilton is one of the best slot cornerbacks in the entire league. But Cooper Cup is going to get his. Good offense beats good defense, and Cooper Cup is the dictionary picture of good offense. Narrow edge to the Rams. I wanted to say push, but if I'm going to give the narrow edge to the Bengals, i got to do the same for the wide receivers here. The tight end, <laughs> this, this is great. If Tyler Higby plays, it's a push. God, you're getting a lot of pushes. But I guess it's a Super Bowl, right? If Tyler Higby plays, it's a push. Both he and CJ Uzama, the Bengals tight end, sprained their MCLs in their championship Sunday game. The difference is, is it sounds like Uzama is responding better to the treatment and his leg is recovering a little bit quicker. Where he's listed as questionable, he's hell-bent. He's been on Twitter. He's been everywhere saying, hey, I won't miss the biggest game of my life for any reason. Apparently threw his brace to midfield. He was, I guess, frustrated with the setback and excited just to get the game here, to get it over with, then worry about rehab after. But it doesn't sound like that for Tyler Higby. He was listed as doubtful. And McVay, in these early days of the Super Bowl media tour, it doesn't sound like he's very optimistic that he will play. So that's why I'm going to say I'm leaning towards the Bengals. But Kendall Blanton would be the guy to step in for Tyler Higby if he can't go. He only had four catches and 37 yards in the regular season. 
But he had five for 57 in the NFC Championship game when Higby was out. And he had the first touchdown pass, ironically, the week before against Tampa Bay. Tight ends won't be that far separated, but you got to give the narrow edge to the Bengals. Let's go to the offensive line. And this, to me, may be the most important matchup of the entire week. The Rams' offensive line is pretty good. Pretty healthy. The guards are their weak point between David Edwards and Austin Corbett. Weren't terrible years, but were far from great. But you're anchored by Andrew Whitworth. First 40-year-old offensive lineman ever. That's so cool. And to potentially get a send-off in the Super Bowl, a home Super Bowl, against his beloved former team. And it sounds like, from all accounts, it, it truly is still a marriage that they have between each other where Whitworth will be a Bengal fan, blah, 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 forever. He's friends with the organization, blah, blah, blah. But what matters is on Sunday, they will be mortal enemies and very likely the last enemy for Andrew Whitworth in his very storied career. And it's crazy, too. At 40 years old, the guy's still getting it done at that level. One of the best passing left tackles in the entire league this year at 40 years old. That is unbelievable. And that division, too. To go up against the guys that they're going up against and to still do what they're doing... Good for Andrew Whitworth, but let's go to the Bengals' offensive line. And if I haven't said it yet, I think you guys probably put it together. The Rams' offensive line is significantly better than the Cincinnati Bengals' offensive line. This is the widest gap out of any of these position groups on either side of the ball. Bengals, first of all, Riley Reef is also out. He's been hurt for the last month and a half or so, which means that you are now looking at a center-to-right tackle combo of Trey Hopkins, Hakeem Adeniji, and Isaiah Prince. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Especially with how creative the Rams can be moving around their pass rush. Really can stack that side of the ball a little bit and really create some problems. Especially if the Bengals aren't able to stay ahead of the chains. Offense line, huge win for the Rams there. Pass rush, it's closer than people think. But the Rams win here too. Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard have been more productive from a sack output this year. 21.5 versus Von Miller and Aaron Donald at 17. But that really doesn't tell the whole story as we all know what teams will do to take away Aaron Donald or at least try to take away Von Miller or at least try double teams, running the ball. There's a lot that you can do. Attack them with the run. That's going to be very important. The Bengals, again, Staying in front of the, the sticks this weekend is going to make or or cost them this game. If they play the way they did against the Tennessee Titans, that Bengals team loses. The Bengals play like they did against the Chiefs, especially they did in the last 40 minutes of that game. Yeah, I think the Bengals might win. Rusty, push, not even a waste of my time. It's literally a push. Both top 10 in yards allowed, but it's more because it's predicated on Ben don't break style defense. I, the only thing you can say here is that if one of these run defenses is so aggressively bad that the offense doesn't even have to pass to score, that's when it becomes an issue. But I don't think that happens for either of these clubs. Linebackers, got to give the edge to the Bengals. Troy Reader, yeah, he's had a solid year with the Rams. But Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt are two of the most unsung heroes of a playoff run I can ever remember. Both having game-winning INTs this same postseason including the 4th one run on Derrick Henry. These two guys really anchor this defense. When they're not there or they're not playing well like they weren't in the first half of the AFC Championship game, 
This team's not going to be able to stop a lot of teams. I'll be interested to see if the Bengals almost take a similar approach to what they did in the second half, where they dropped eight guys over 45% of the time. Really say, hey, if you want to walk down the field, dinking and dunking it, running the ball with Cam Akers and Sonny Michelle, you can do it, but you better be perfect. And I don't know if they will be. I think you can probably expect to see a little bit softer of a defense from the Bengals, again, trying to force those underneath passes, try to take away Cooper Cup, and that's going to put a lot on these linebackers, especially in that run game or in that intermediate passing game. Corners, got to go to the Rams. Bengals have had actually a really solid postseason for the secondary, making a lot of timely and big plays when they need to, but the Rams unit's just better. They're led by the best in the game in Jalen Ramsey, or at least one of the best in the game, depending on where you fall in that debate. But both units are going to be asked to do more in this game than they have been all postseason. With these quarterbacks, it could be a really long day for both these secondaries if the pass rush isn't able to get home. For special teams, gotta go with Evan McPherson. I know you guys think I'm obsessed with this guy, and for right, well, I guess rightfully so, I am. He's putting together one of the best kicking seasons in the history of the NFL. And to be doing it in your rookie year, it makes it even more special. It feels like every time a game can be on the line, it's finding his foot right now. And that's what would have me a little nervous as a Rams fan. And I guess you, you got to flip it too. Matt Gates hit two consecutive game-winning field goals as well in the divisional round in the conference championship. But they, it, it's a little different. It feels different. I mean, he missed a 47-yarder short in that same game that he beat the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. You can definitely say the Rams have a very narrow edge in punting. Johnny Hecker, uh, he's still very solid, at least in terms of net punt. But if special teams make a big play in this game, whether it be a touchdown, block kick, missed field goal, I think that's how tight of a Super Bowl you have here that that really could be the major difference in a game. I don't think it's going to happen. I think both of these special teams units are a little bit too equipped to handle problems like that, maybe perhaps a kick return or something, even a long one, out to like midfield or give you a a short drive after uh, giving up a score. Like those little things make such a difference in a game like this from a momentum standpoint. And that's where the last one that we have to go into comes into such play, the coaching. Sean McVay, you would imagine, has the edge over his former employee. But what a fun little coaching tree discussion this will be. We always hear about Bill Belichick and his coaching tree going off against each other. Still pretty early on with Sean McVay. Maybe we're going to be able to find something out. But Zach Taylor has had, he has a real chance to show the world and people like myself that I was an idiot to ever doubt this man. And I doubted him nonstop. I, even throughout this year, you'd hear things like in the, the Vikings game, an opening game where Joe Burrow called an audible at the line or the Jaguars called an audible at the line, tight end screen to CJ Uzama to win the game. I don't know how much of that is Zach Taylor. And if it is a head coaching battle, until I have it definitively, I guess, shoved down my throat, I'm going to ride and believe that that Sean McVay will make a difference in this game. Before I give you my winner here in this game, though, I'm going to give you a few of my prop bets. It's what sucks about not having Steven here for this one is that we both love the prop bets so, so much. But I got seven for you here anyways. First one's a lock as it always is because it's never failed. Is tails never fails. Got to bet on that 29 straight times, excluding the 26 losses it has. 
<laughs> I can't help myself. Yeah, so it's 50-50. And you get minus 104 odds. But hey, Heads won last year. You know we're due. Tails is due for a comeback. So Tails rocks here. I've got the over of 42 and a half yards for the longest touchdown in this game. That's at minus 110. I know that I just said that these defenses are going to try to keep everything in front of them, really minimize this kind of offense and make them play in front of them, make it long drives, make you really have to work for it. But with how much speed, how much skill there is, especially at the wide receiver position on both sides, I just ha- I can't imagine that somebody doesn't break one off, whether it be something like Jamar Chase's touchdown catch reception against the Chiefs in the regular season where he catches it at midfield and literally just outruns seven people. Maybe it's Cooper Cup. He's such a terrific out route runner. Maybe he burns someone like Mike Hilton on like a flag route and you have the sideline up. I just think 42 and a half for this game, it feels really good. Then last play of the game, this is where you can feel I'm getting a little crazy because I'm just so excited about this game. I think it's going to be a really special Super Bowl. Last play of the game to be a quarterback kneel down. I have no at plus 166. And I'll tell you why. I double dipped here. My immediate follow one. Will there be a score on the last play of the game? My answer, yes. Plus 1140. And this is where I think I kind of tip my hand. Joe Burrow's the MVP at plus 230. Think that the winning team's quarterback is likely going to be the MVP in this game. Unless you have Jamar Chase or Cooper Cup decide to do what they did all regular season. Maybe you have a 200-yard, two-touchdown performance or something similar to that. But I don't believe it. I think they're both going to have to spread the ball around. And that's why you're going to see a quarterback with the MVP award. This one's fun. I really am, again, so disappointed Steven's on here. Because the halftime show, this is right up his alley. He's a big music head. I love music, but I'm not even close to the vinyl-loving, weird, into-that-stuff-as-he-is. But I'm going with... For the first song of the halftime show this year, it's got to be California Love. They're in LA, SoFi, the Rams are there. It's going to be California Love, and that pays out at plus 250. Just realize when you hear that, California Love, you like that voice? Once you hear that, I'm going to be in my living room, I'm going to be dancing up a storm, because I will have guaranteed that. Money is on the table, it is out there. The fact that any other song is a possibility makes no sense to me. Gotta be first, gotta be last, no in between. And then, of course, you gotta always bet Gatorade color. Because I have the Cincinnati Bengals winning this game, plus four and money line, I have orange Gatorade at plus 200. The Rams win, I think I would probably have bet blue, but you gotta go team colors, right? Orange feels right. You're going to see Zach Taylor getting doused in it come about 11.30 on Sunday night. Good for the Cincinnati School District, by the way, to to get rid of the idea of having class a day after. That's like the narrow push we need. We need everybody to start doing this because then all of a sudden, it's got to become a federal holiday at some point. We do things like President's Day. I, I mean, there's like Flag Day, stuff like that. I know we don't get days off for Flag Day. But you get all these days off growing up, you couldn't even tell me what the holidays are. Can we get the day after the Super Bowl? The fact that it's 2022, how are we have to ask these questions? But anyways, I have the Bengals winning this game 31-28 to 
on a last-second field goal by Evan McPherson. Feels like the perfect storybook ending for everybody involved. Matt Stafford maybe drives the team down, gets a touchdown late, gives him at least, uh, I don't know, that accomplishment of it wasn't me, it wasn't my fault, I guess. And he'll be back. The Rams are very good. They're, they're going to be very much contenders for the next five years. I just feel like there's something really special happening this year in Cincinnati. It's palpable. It's in the air. Everywhere you look, you see Bengals stuff right now. And that's why I would just encourage all of you fans like me that are trying so hard not to start hating teams that are good for no reason. Because we would do the same. Especially when our team's like, I know I will. God, if the Raiders ever can make it there again. I'm going to be so annoying. I know that your fan bases are the same way. So just try to keep that in mind. These people are all excited for the first time in 30 some odd years to even a playoff game. And now they might be getting their first ever Super Bowl. Just unbelievable. But I am going to wrap us up here. But one last thing I wanted to say, in this time of year is always sentimental for football fans especially football fans that have waited so long to reach the mountaintop of sports. I hate to end a show on a little bit of a damper note, but I, I have to. I mentioned over the summer that my Uncle Jerome passed away. He was a Bengals fanatic just like his brother, and that's my dad. He waited his whole life to see this game and watch the Bengals celebrate winning a Super Bowl. It never happened. And that's true for millions of people out there too. I mean, many of you probably have similar feelings regardless of the person or who has passed away or the team that they've loved. You know what that's like. And I guess the reason I brought this up is just because of how emotional the sport is for so many of us fans. Many of my best memories with my uncle and my family as a whole, and with you listeners too, are because of sports. I get to watch my dad's favorite team play in the Super Bowl on Sunday And we never know how many more times like this we're ever going to get. So good luck to all you fans with a rooting interest in the game. Good luck to the rest of you who will likely be gambling on it. But for this week only, you're going to get a who day from me. Rooting for the Bengals, I do hope they get it done. Best day of the year for a reason, everybody. But for Steven and I, thank you so much for listening. This has been Lost of Downloads.